and good morning. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Um, as we gather this morning, of course, we're going to be focusing on the Easter story, the resurrection story, and this morning we're going to see it through the lens of Thomas. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to John chapter 20 and verse 24. And as we approach it this morning, I have a simple question. Do you have hope? And not just any hope, but do you have this morning a sure and a certain hope, a deep and abiding hope? Or do you find yourself often going through life at times hopeless, at times troubled, at times depressed? Do you often... Now, maybe this is just for times during a day. Maybe this is for a day at a time. Maybe this is for a week. But do you at times go through life as though you have no hope? Do you struggle in that way? As, as we approach the story this morning, can, can you imagine the disciples in between that first Good Friday and Easter morning? Can you imagine that all hope for them is lost You see, even after hearing everything that Jesus said, they had no category for a dead Messiah. They had no category for a risen Messiah. It it just wasn't in the cards, even though Jesus had taught him about it. They still, they didn't get it. And then on that first Easter morning, Jesus appears to them. He appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to the disciples, the disciples except for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And I hope this morning as we dive into the story of uh, of Thomas and his experience with the resurrection, it might bring to us a great encouragement and an enduring hope. Let's look to the text now, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, unless I place the finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came. And he stood among them and he said, peace, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed, have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your presence this morning. We need you to come. Would you encourage our hearts? Would you help our unbelief this morning? And would you help us to believe, and that by believing, we may have an enduring hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, many of you, you've, you've probably been there before. You've been at, at a sports game or something, professional or local or, or, or whatever, and suddenly your team is like losing big time. And it gets to the very end of the game. There's like two minutes left. What happens? Everybody just starts leaving, right? You know, because the game is over. You're losing by double digits. There's no way. And I remember, I, I don't remember how old I was, but the school I went to, kindergarten through 12th grade, you went to the football games, okay? And I can remember this one game we were losing. It was, it was double digits. Everybody left. It was a terrible, terrible game. We weren't playing well, and everybody left. And then the clock got below a minute, and then suddenly there was a fumble, and, and we scored. And before that 60 seconds was out, our team had scored three times and ended up barely winning the game. It was just one of those amazing moments, right? Now, you, you've been there but probably before watching on TV or whatever, and, and like you end up watching to the end. And if you were to tell one of those people who left the game early, they'd be, oh, I can't believe that. That seems a little far-fetched. I need to go see it on YouTube or something, right? I, 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 I don't get it. Well, in Thomas this morning, in a way, we have somebody, he, he left the game early. He wasn't there for the victory celebration. He, he missed it, and, and he can't quite believe that this could really be true. In fact, as we find Thomas in our story, he's despondent. Because remember, he, like the other disciples, he has no category for a dead Messiah. He has no category even for a risen Messiah. Even though Jesus had told them this was going to happen, they didn't get it. It didn't sink into their dense skulls. And then the other disciples, they, they come and, and they tell him that they've seen the risen Jesus. And what does Thomas say? Verse 25, he says, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, unless I place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, he says, I will never believe. Now, we've all heard of Doubting Thomas, right? Is that the best descriptor of Thomas here? D did you hear what he says? He doesn't say, I have some doubts. I don't know if I can believe you. He, he says, I will never believe. His problem doesn't seem to be that he has a few doubts. His problem that he refuses to believe unless he has proof. I mean, put yourself in Thomas's shoes for a minute. The other disciples, you know, they, they come to you and they tell you, Thomas, Thomas, we, we, we've seen the risen Jesus. And remember, you have no category for that. No. You're, you're making this up. You know, what, you know you're, you're just like those Elvis fans. You know, you, you just so want to believe that he's still alive that somehow you've made this up in your mind. You know, that's, that's the kind of picture Thomas must have had of them. But they come and they tell him, no, he came and we actually saw him. Verse 20, back in verse 20, we read this. What did Jesus do? He showed them his hands and his side. The, disciple, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They, they'd, they'd seen it. They saw the wounds. And when Thomas hears them tell him that, what does he say? He says, I'll one-up you. He said, I, I, I don't trust my eyes. If, if I don't actually touch him, I'm going to have to touch him. I'm going to have to put my hand in his side before I'm ever going to believe. It's not enough just to believe. Thomas's friend, his teacher, was brutally murdered. And he says, maybe like some of us sometimes, he says, God, I, I don't know that I can trust you anymore. Everything was going so good. You know, we were on this great trajectory with Jesus, and now all hope is lost. 
Thomas must have been despondent. All hope, all this hope that he had, he had built up in this Jesus, it's, it, it's gone. And in a sense, he's saying, I, God, you're going to have to make this all right. You've you got to fix this. I, I can't believe this. This is too hard. This is too much. You're going to have to prove yourself to me. And doesn't this sound so much like us sometimes? Doesn't it, in a way, even sound attractive to us? How many times have you maybe even said, well, if I was only there... It would be so much easier to believe. There are, we need to understand, we, we all struggle with, with unbelief. And I think in this room, probably there, there's, there's different kinds of unbelief represented here. Okay? And I just want to speak of them just for a moment so we get them out there. The first is, and, and maybe there's some here, you, you've been brought here by a friend or a loved one or whatever, but there, there's this thing of public unbelief. You know what this is. You, you proclaimed, you've said, no, I don't believe. I don't be- There's no way he rose from the dead. That's too far-fetched. There's no way I could ever believe that. Maybe that's where you are this morning. It's that level of unbelief. Or maybe your unbelief is private. You're here. You say the words. You say them regularly. Nobody would know, but privately, down deep, you, I don't think I believe this. But you don't want to disrupt all of your relationships. You're, you're too afraid of the consequences on your, on your family or whatever if you were to say that, I, I don't believe this. So there's that public, out there unbelief. There's this private belief that resides in your heart and maybe you're just not honest and don't tell everybody. But then there's also this practical unbelief. And if you're a believer here this morning and, and you say, what, I believe. I believe that he rose from the dead that a minute ago when we said he is risen that you really meant it. I think we probably... You probably struggle with this practical unbelief. This is that unbelief that sometimes says, God, I, I, I know you said that I shouldn't go to the right, but I'm going to go there anyway because I think I know better. It's that unbelief that shows itself any time that we, we sin, any time that we go our own way. It's that unbelief that shows itself when we don't trust him, when we don't trust his promises, when we, we, we don't trust that he really has our good in mind. It's when you're more concerned about what others think about you than what God thinks about you. Or maybe even you're more concerned about what you think about you than what God thinks about you. This practical unbelief then is the one who believes, but so often maybe you, like me, at times you act as though, you live as though you don't believe. So we have these different kinds of unbelief this morning. Wh- which one are you? Or is, is it this public? Is it this private? Is it this practical unbelief? Where is the unbelief in your heart? Now, this unbelief isn't something to be praised. Okay? Uh, sometimes I think, you know, we use that doubting Thomas thing and it's almost like it becomes this thing that we exalt up and it's a, it's a good thing for us. No, unbelief is not a good thing, but we should be honest. And we need to be honest about that unbelief and wherever it is. And so I hope this morning that as we, as we look, continue to look at the story of unbelieving Thomas, that he will help us along the way. Now there's a common storyline, theme that we see in literature and movies, you know, where, where, where a character goes through a, a sudden 
and, and profound and drastic transformation, right? And as I was thinking about Easter and thinking through that and who could that be, there, you know, who else goes with Easter better than Darth Vader, right? That's immediately who popped into my brain. And I mean, just think about him. Here's this guy that he personifies evil, right? And yet he's the chosen one. And in the end, what does he do? He brings balance to the force. He casts the emperor into the abyss. Right? And then there's that conversation between him and Luke right before he dies. It goes like this. Luke, help me take off my mask. But you'll die, says Luke. Nothing can stop that now, just for once. Let me look on you with my own eyes. Now go, my son, leave me. Luke says, no, you're coming with me. I won't leave you. I got to save you. And what does he say? He says, you already have. You already have, Luke. You were right. You were right about me. Tell your sister you were right. You see, Luke had been convinced that somehow redemption was possible even for Darth Vader. Our story this morning tells us that redemption is possible even for unbelieving Thomas. And don't think for a moment, well, well, Thomas, he, he's not that bad, right? He's not real. No, unbelief is unbelief. There is no different categories of it. It, it, it. it is what it is. If it is that public unbelief, it is what it is. And what does Jesus do? He, he approaches unbelieving Thomas. He approaches him and in stubborn unbelief, we see it in verse 26. Eight days later, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I mean, can you imagine, Thomas, here he is. It's a week later. The other disciples, it was just like a day. And for Thomas, it's been a week of sitting in this, this place without hope, and then Jesus shows up through a locked door. Don't ask me how he did it. He did it, and he says, peace be with you, and what good words. I mean, can you imagine you're sitting in a locked room, and suddenly your dead friend is standing there in your midst. You want to hear, peace be with you. It's okay. I'm not here to harm you. I'm not here to hurt you, right? You, you want to hear some sort of good words, and, and, and we hear that from Jesus, and Jesus, what does he do? He approaches unbelieving Thomas, not with reproach, how, how, you could, what's wrong with you, but with incredible compassion. He, he meets Thomas precisely where he is at. He's looking at Thomas and saying, I know the struggle that you're having. Back to verse 27, put your hands here. See my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Jesus here, what is he doing? It's a, it's a compassionate offering himself up so that Thomas would believe, but not just Thomas, so that you and I would believe this morning. And it's here that we see that that silence that we sometimes feel, that silence that Thomas felt in, those, in that week, that doesn't mean that God is absent <laughs> Jesus wasn't absent 
in the midst of the darkness of those days for Thomas. He was still there and he was intimately concerned with Thomas. And we see Jesus now approach Thomas right where he's at in the midst of his concern and what incredible compassion he has. J.C. Rowell puts it this way. The verse before us is a wonderful instance of Christ's pitifulness and condescension. To come into the world at all and to take a body on him. To allow the body to be scourged, crowned with thorns, nailed to the cross, laid in the grave. All of this beyond a doubt was astounding condescension. But get this. But when the victory over sin and death was won and he had taken on himself his resurrection body to come to a doubting and unbelieving and a skeptical disciple and bid him to touch him put his fingers in the nail prints of his hands, put his hand into the great wound in his side. All of this was a condescension which we can never sufficiently admire and adore. Do you understand how compassionate Jesus is in this moment as he approaches Thomas? Jesus is here telling Thomas, in a sense, when you were denying me, I was believing in you. I knew that redemption was possible for you. I knew that redemption was coming for you, Thomas. And he calls Thomas, and what does he say? He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Maybe a little bit more literally. He says, Thomas, don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. That's what he's saying. Don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. This isn't a call for Thomas to stop having some doubts, okay? This is a call for Thomas to become believing Thomas. It's a bold call to stop disbelieving and to believe. And this is the call to all of us this morning as we're gathered here. It's the call that says, don't be an unbeliever this morning, but be a believer. If you find yourself in that public or that private unbelief that just can't believe that this is true, Jesus calls you this morning and he says, don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. If you find yourself this morning in that practical unbelief in your life, Jesus calls you this morning and he he says, will you stop being an unbeliever when it comes to your family? Will you stop being an unbeliever when it comes to your kids? Will you stop being an unbeliever when it comes to your finances? Will you stop being an unbeliever when it comes to the grief in your life? Will you stop being an unbeliever when it comes to those moments and those times of temptation? Oh, would you start trusting me? that I am for you and not against you. He's calling you and I to become a believer in all of those areas, not just some sort of intellectual assent. Yeah, I believe in you. Not just when we gather here on Sunday mornings, when you get together for a Bible study, but he calls us to come and be a believer throughout our day, every day. Every moment of the day, believing that he is risen. Now, what is Thomas's response? It's incredible, isn't it? Verse 28, he says, what? My Lord and my God. 
Thomas sees the impossible standing in front of him. He sees that for which he has absolutely no category. And it's right there before his eyes. And what does he do? He responds with belief and with worship. And for Thomas, as a devout Jew, to say these words, my Lord and my God, it would be blasphemous if it weren't true. To say that this man standing in front of him is his God, it's an incredible proclamation of the truth. You see, in what must have been a split second, as, as Thomas is standing there taking in this Jesus that is calling him to believe, all of that time spent with Jesus must have flashed through his head. All those conversations, all the things that he saw, and finally all the synapses, they all came together. And in that moment, Thomas goes from being an unbeliever to a believer. He becomes believing Thomas. How sad that he's known as Doubting Thomas for something that took place over the course of eight days. He's believing Thomas. And he confesses that the risen man, Jesus, that is standing right here in front of him is the Lord and is his God. He confesses his faith. He, he worships. These aren't just words that flow from his mouth. Understand that he's coming before him with bended knees, if you will. What, what Thomas is doing here, it is also an act of worship. My Lord and my God. As one commentator puts it, it's the language of amazement, delight, repentance, faith, adoration, all wrapped up into one sentence. And that's how Thomas responds to Jesus standing right there in front of him. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have seen and yet have, belie- have not seen and yet have believed. What is, the first thing we need to understand here is what does Jesus do? He accepts the worship, doesn't he? Now, typically we see throughout Scripture when people come and worship the wrong thing, they say, no, no, don't do it. Jesus accepts it. He basically says, yes. You should be worshiping me. Now, it sounds like for a moment that Jesus here is rebuking him for his faith in a way. I don't really think so. If there is any sort of rebuke here, it's very mild. Remember, he's already rebuked Thomas, right? He's already said, stop being an unbeliever, Thomas. The rebuke's already happened. I think this might be a little bit better read just as a statement. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Maybe the question mark shouldn't be there. But what we see here. Thomas's conversion here is a gift to us. It's further proof of who Jesus really is. This isn't the type of story that you would put in a book if you were trying to make this up. You don't have a disciple who doesn't believe. That makes no sense. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't stick him in there. That, that, you'd never do that. And Thomas becomes in his day... A great apologetic, if you will. I mean, can you imagine the other disciples as they're going around after Jesus' ascension and people begin, well, well we want to see too. Why didn't we get to see? You know, and they begin to say, well, meet, meet our friend Thomas. Or let, us, let me tell you about my friend Thomas. Let me tell you about the skeptic. The one who 
at first did not believe and demanded proof. And then the proof was put before him and he believed. We should be thankful for Thomas. Thankful that he didn't just believe in the very beginning, right? Um, Thankful that he remained obstinate in his disbelief for an entire week so that you and I could believe. And so that Jesus was able to Actually, whenever he was speaking to Thomas, speak about you and I, wasn't he? Jesus was telling Thomas about us, about ones who, who would believe without having the opportunity to see or to touch. Because, you see, we, today, we have to rely on the witnesses, right? That Thomas, one of those witnesses that we have right here before us, and these witnesses that we see in Scripture, they're, they're trustworthy, because as we think through, for instance, just the disciples, the apostles, all, all the apostles, really except for John, the one writing this book who ends up dying at an old age, history seems to tell us that they were all martyred for their faith, persecuted, many of them tortured. Now, you might believe that one of them would do that for a lie. But would they all do that for a lie? can't imagine going to your death and going to your death because you said, no, he is risen. Refusing to come down off that. You see, we come to faith in Christ because of these great witnesses. Unlike them, we aren't able to to, to see or even, even touch. But unlike these apostles, Jesus says to us, blessed are you who do not see and yet believe. Apostle Peter puts it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the testimony of Thomas, the testimony of of believing Thomas should lead you and I to believe. It should be an encouragement to our faith, It should encourage us to say with him, my Lord and my God. A number of years ago, um, a pastor in our denomination, Tim Keller, about 15 years ago, he was going through his first bout with with cancer. And in the midst of this, after a surgery, he had nothing to do, so he decided to read this huge book on the resurrection, like 800 and some odd pages, and read every single word of it, and and all the footnotes, and, and, and everything. And when he got done, this is what he said. He said, there's no historically viable alternative explanation for the birth of the Christian church than the fact that the early Christians thought they saw Jesus Christ, that they touched him, that he was raised from the dead. As I was reading it, I realized I was coming to greater certainty. And that, when I closed the book, I said, at a time when it was very important, in the midst of this cancer diagnosis, it was very important to me to feel this way, I said, he really really, really did rise from the dead. It's not that he didn't believe it before, but there was still unbelief lurking in his heart. And he needed to be reminded of the incredible truth that he is risen at this difficult moment in his life. The truth of the resurrection was what he needed. It became more real to him. He needed the hope that comes from the resurrection, a hope that is sure and is certain. 
And that's kind of where John leads us next as we conclude our, our passage. Look at verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. At the very beginning, what does John acknowledge? He acknowledges that there's many other things that aren't written in this book. I haven't been able to write it all down. There's other witnesses out there. There's, there's other places that you can go to see this. And in the midst of that, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul writes this, that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And though some have fallen asleep, you understand what that means, most of whom are still alive. Paul's saying, go, talk to them. It's, it's not even just the, the, the apostles. You can go talk to some of these 500, I don't know, 450 of them. Go talk to every single one of them and hear that they saw the risen Jesus. There are even more witnesses. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so many of these witnesses, they gave their lives. They gave their lives for the truth of those words that you and I confessed a little bit earlier. He is risen. They gave their lives for the truth of it. And all of this, all of these witnesses, John, tell us, are so that what? That you may believe. So that we may believe as Thomas began to believe. That because of, of Thomas's witness... The, the witness of, uh, of the, the apostles, the witness of those 500, the witness of, of folks like Mary Magdalene, that we might believe that Jesus is, is risen. It's not just a belief that you need at the very beginning, okay? It's not just a belief that we, we need when we, we, we first come to faith. It's a belief that you and I need right now. In fact, it's the reason why we are gathered here right now, and if it is not true, there's no reason for us to be gathered right now. But because it is, we're here. And all of this is for a purpose. That by believing, you may have life in his name. His desire, John's desire, Jesus' desire, I believe, is that we may have life. Now you might wonder, when is this? Is this just something eternal, just something to look forward to? It is that, but not just that. Is this just some judicial life that, that right now we are what we call and what we speak about around here, that we are justified, right? That we've been declared innocent because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. We are forgiven. We're washed clean. He's taken our sins upon him. Yes, it's that, but it's even more than that too. Is it that we're adopted into his family? Yes, it's that, but it's more than that too. It's that we might have life and experience the life that comes out of that right now. Jesus, earlier in the Gospel of John, he's trying to make clear that a, a real life, that there is a real life that is available to us now. And what does he say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And not just that, in chapter 10 he says this, the thief comes 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. A real life. A real life that is available to you and I right now because Jesus is risen. As we cling to that belief, as we, as, we, as we hold tightly that belief that he is risen, we are able to have abundant, abundant life. So question for you this morning. Does the resurrection, does the resurrection have an impact on you today? Or does it only like affect your eternity? It's only as you think towards the future that it really affects you. Or does it affect your day to day? Do you go around believing you you got to get all your fun in right now? Because life is short. Do you really believe the resurrection? Or do you live as though Jesus is dead? Do you sometimes find yourself living as though he's still in the tomb, living a life that's depressed, dejected, discouraged, and defeated. We're called this morning, no, to believe and to understand that he is alive, that he is risen, having already conquered sin and death. But so often we find ourselves Even in the context of that, what? Living as though he's dead. And the call, the call to all of us this morning is to believe. To truly believe those words, he is risen. To hear that call of Jesus. Don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. Wherever that finds you, if that finds you in the the midst of public or private unbelief where you can't even believe that, that the resurrection is true, Jesus calls you this morning to believe. Believe that it really is true. In the midst of of your practical unbelief in your daily life, where these these areas of your life where you it's hard for you to believe that. He's really risen. He calls you and I. And he says, don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. Not just satisfying some sort of intellectual curiosity. That's not what I'm talking about. Just some intellectual assent to, yeah, he rose from the dead. But believing that because he is risen, it changes everything as it did for believing Thomas, changed everything. We can find ourselves then operating differently in this world, right? We find ourselves not mourning, for instance, as the rest of the world mourns, because we mourn as those who have a great hope. We we find that because he is risen, we can say, Those words of Paul that he says, we we can say these words at, at sin and death. We can look sin and death in the face and we can say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting 
of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. So you are able to have hope. Hope unlike any in all the rest of the world. We're not, we're not talking like, I hope so. We're talking about a sure and a certain hope that he has rescued you from sin and death. He's rescued you from sin and death by how? By triumphing over it in the resurrection. He has conquered it and he has given to you a new life that can be found in him, in your union and being united with him. I often, in sermons, saying, do you believe it? That's the same question before us this morning. As the resurrection is before us, as we hear the testimony of the witnesses, the question before us is, do you believe it? And Jesus calls every one of us, wherever we're at, whether it's in the midst of your public unbelief, your private unbelief, your, the practical unbelief of everyday life, he calls you and he says, what? Do not be an unbeliever. He calls you and he says, be a believer. Let's pray. Your Father, we thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the witnesses, the witnesses who have testified to the resurrection. The witnesses who even gave of their very life so that we might believe. Father, as we come this morning, we pray, would, would you help us to believe? Whether that be for the very first time, or whether that be because, yet again, we have ferreted out another area of our life in which disbelief lurks. And we, yet again, need to be reminded of the call to believe. Oh, Father, would you help us this morning to believe? We pray in the matchless name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.